We all tell ourselves stories of who we are and why. But we forget that we have the power to define them. That no idea grows from mewling striped cum to teeth at your throat tiger without a little help, some guidance, and a whole lot of love along the way. I am Jared Surf, and this is Here Be Tigers. Okay, so let's go to the prefix. Let's do the witch first, because Almathea was one of those stars that fell into the sea, but kept more of herself than the others. So she was a strange stone monstrosity of a lady that had a bits of like liquid crystal or gem as her blood and eyes, etc. And she loved collecting bones, petrified bones, mm-hmm. fresh bones. She she had an aviary, an aviary, but it was all the skeletons of creatures. Right. I think, yeah, there was a skeleton of a phoenix, which is a confusing thought, because that shouldn't work. <laughs> yes. Effectively, when you think about it, she, she, she froze a phoenix mid-rebirth and just kept the skeleton. I, I guess, yeah. Or or at least pulled it out of the ashes. Yeah. So there, was a, there was always an alien quality and an unearthly quality to her. And I think, I'll tell you, I'll introduce the three prefects, and you tell me where you think they persist in the town now. Okay. Then you had... The the liar. Now, Omathea was kind of a riff off of stars being angels and that kind of play. Okay. The liar, Kyan, was a riff off the wizard. What if the magic persisted but had its own mind, right? Okay. And he he was largely a trickster archetype, but he had an agenda. And oh, no, now I remember. Spoilers, but it doesn't matter. Let's call Kyan the dragon. He was a big, monstrous, mythical thing that one purpose or another, found it more interesting to be a person most of the time. Right. And then the one they struggled with the most, but liked the most too, the Chevalier, the knight. And each of the prefects had a, had a set of what's called domains or dominions that uh, they had to sit final say over. Kyan's was ingress and egress. Almathea's was transmutation. The knight's was who gets to come back. Okay. He was the closest to the Seldar. He, he spent most of his time in the chapel, which they fell into in their uh, session two or three. And this was the moment that defined the night and a lot of the, uh, I would say, the, the world itself. Because he would sit there and carve Scrimshaw from bone, Almithia didn't get all of it, sitting in the chapel, just whiling his time away. Yeah. And they all crashed down into the chapel, made a mess of things. And Pablo asked him the question, how do I get out of here? Or how do we get out of here? And the knight starts carving the scrimshaw, which I made very clear to Pablo was one of his own bones, which is weird because he had all of them. Yeah. But, you know, here's the chevalier carving one of his finger bones, perhaps. Yeah. Stops carving, looks at Pablo. And when I say chevalier, knight, full armor, no face, right? Right. You know, deeply ornate, gothic, maybe a little bit on the eager level of ornate, right? Yeah. And just throws the scrimshaw knife at Pablo. Not like, you know, to impale him, just throws it down at him. To his question is, how do I get out of here? How do we leave here? Exactly. And over the course of their adventures, he never uses that knife except till two moments of dear consequence. One where they're trying to capture a nightmare, which is a burning nightmare of a horse. 
And Pablo stabs it and does terrible things to it, but not what he thinks it should. And then later, when he makes the mistake of doing a ritual and cuts his own arm off as an offering, and I, I've talked about this on the show before, but I, to lay it out, I said, okay, the proxy of death gives you a knife, which you receive to answer the question, how do I get out of here? And you're cutting your arm off with this. Yeah. You die. And there was a rule you could make. It was called last breath, which, you know, he could say, no, I shrug it off, or I have a hard bargain, or I die. And the, the type of character he was playing had a, a disastrous component where if one die was a higher result than the other, as the D8 and D6, so if the D8, the Calamity die, as it were, right, or the, the great hero dies, or rolled higher, then, yeah, humanity, yeah. then things of greater consequence and import occurred. So he rolls a three, which means you die, but you die catastrophically after cutting your arm off with a knife that death gave you to the answer of the question, how do I get out of here? I won't go into the details of everything that followed because it changed a whole bunch of narratives and arc, but... I was going to say it it should have, yeah. It it had to. It it altered the game and the narrative both because stakes suddenly became severe. Right. And all the liminal space that they had worked in before hit a boundary that they couldn't wheedle their way out of. Okay. So I say this to you, the three prefects, whether they remain at the academy or not, you have the witch, the trickster, or the liar, who was a monster but isn't anymore, and death by proxy, right? Right. Where in the town do they reside, and what do they do? I feel like with the prefects, they almost feel like the weird locals. <laughs> like, like, like here's the thing, because I... As as you were talking about the knight, I had this picture in my mind of like the either the old priest or some like an older priest, but he's the one that knows all the old legends about this place. He's the one that like he like like one of those like he he's the one that'll show up and do an exorcism when it needs to be done kind of thing. Like he's he's the one that like you know below the chapel he has all the monster hunting equipment and like stuff from like uh native american folklore to deal with like wendigos or stuff like that like he's importantly has anyone ever seen a wendigo or other thing or is or as part of his weirdness that he just seems really into thinking he's fighting you know vast evils and horrors from beyond or spiritual i i think that's up to interpretation like i i feel like that would be like he i feel like like half like there's probably a good majority of the town that the that they, they they think the priest is like um oh, lunatic. <laughs> <laughs> no, well I'm picturing it like, oh, the, the priest is into like the old legends, like he's a weird like history nerd, that kind of thing. And then th- there's a select few that like, oh no, he's serious and he goes out and hunts things in the wilderness that may be monsters, we don't know. Right. It, it's he has a collection of old artifacts that have historical significance that should probably be returned to their original cultures and regions, populations that he insists yes, on holding yes. on to. There's probably at some point students yelling at him about that, and he probably preaches about the need. There, there's a protest, yeah. Like I, I will say that a story element would be is that there's a protest with some of the some of the kids at the academy saying you need to return the artifacts, and he's out there saying, "No, I need them." <laughs> Yes. He's always adamant, and for whatever reason, the greater powers of the church he's a part of will not replace him. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with the the things we usually think of. It's just that this man is assigned in this place, and he's never going to leave. 
Yeah, like the this there's something the old church knows, or he's like one of the like old old time exorcists. Like I, I'm picturing him like almost like the the guy in the Exorcist, like the like he's he, <laughs> okay. He, so you're not thinking of what I am, which is Shadow Builder, which is a uh, about a, a uh, the Gaul slash Schwarzenegger knockoff with a mustache, high on horse tranquilizers, hunting evil shadow monsters. Oh no no no! I was thinking more <laughs> like. I, I, I was thinking more like he's like, I don't know if I want to make him like as old as the guy in the exorcist, but he's like, he, he's definitely not young is the thing. Like he's like, he, he's graying. Yeah. He's probably fifties or sixties. Yeah, exactly. But the weird thing is he's been 50 or 60 for a long time. I, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it could have been one of those things where he just looked old for a long time because some folks do. Yeah. No, I, I was not picturing high on horse tranquilizer Schwarzenegger. I, I was picturing more like, uh, uh, honestly, the first thought was the preacher, the main guy in Signs, uh, Mel Gibson's character, who was like an old preacher or whatever. Okay, sure. Like like someone like kind of built like that, but he's still a preacher and hunting out all the monsters and stuff. And like right. the 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 ch- any church authority that speaks about him is like, no, he stay, he's staying there and he has the authority. Utterly convinced the the, the, the head of the Academy is a vampire. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't do anything about it because he, he knows that like, okay, the vampire hasn't done much harm, but he he's, he's convinced about it. Yeah. Right. There's no arguing with him about it. He might be willing to bend on that. It wasn't a Wendigo. It was a wolf. You know, he, yeah. he might be flexible on everything else to an extent, but the, the the head of the academy is a vampire. Yeah. And you will never convey you will never convince him otherwise. Okay. Uh what about the witch and the monster that isn't anymore? I feel like the witch we're gonna replace the skeletons with taxidermy, because that just makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes sense. Um Oh god, is she the eccentric taxidermist who's from California? I- <laughs> We could do that. I was honestly going with. I was playing more into the like actually being a witch and like she's you can like do the both. old fort. Like I, I pictured her as like the old fortune teller lady. Is she into all the new? Because Almathea wasn't old. She was statuesque, quite literally. You know what? You know what it is. She's the she's the younger. Like she's like probably twenty something, but she's into all the old like uh, witchy. Uh, shit like that kind of stuff and the new age and the new new stuff she's the one with the best she's the one that always gets stuff shipped in right yeah exactly like she she's the one that's like you know what yeah i would say she's got like a like a more modern rv uh, uh, of the time period out there that she lives on a little bit of property she has and she makes her living by doing like the tarot readings and the crystal ball stuff like that does she have a shop in town too that's more she mundane. sells her taxidermies and in, in the in taxidermies and the weird out of town stuff yeah right so you get a bit of the, the kind of the hedgewitch feel there where she's she's got the front store there which is the one the tourists go to yeah and then if the locals need a thing from her whether they want to go see her or not they go to the trailer yeah okay i like this like the the trailer is definitely not the the tourism hotspot it's definitely her taxidermy bear bear in front of the the shop she has in town. <laughs> right, it's probably got a goofy sign on it. Yeah. It's probably next to the coffee shop that she works at part-time. 
She's got like a, no, you know what it is? The front of her shop. She's got the bear in like a jester's outfit with the sign. And then one of those, uh, what is it? Zoltan (laughs) animatronics. Oh yeah. Because it was kitschy and on sale. Yeah, exactly. It fit, it fit her aesthetic. Right. She's a collector of the weird because every small town has at least one. This one has a few. Uh, (laughs) Where's the former monster that is a human now? He's the mayor. Oh, God, that's, a, that's an awful place and a wonderful one to put the trickster in. <laughs> he's the mayor. Because here's the thing. I'm picturing him like he's he he was a monster. Like he he was probably like some old, old cutthroat. Like in his youth, he was a cutthroat politician that put in like all the all the bad policies. He got out of Congress, made his way to the small town, became mayor and he's he's in charge of everything. He's, you are creating this real deep generational conflict in this town, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. He you know what he is? He is he is the jaws mayor. <laughs> oh, even better though. He's had so much plastic surgery, he somehow still looks fairly young. Yeah. Except for like a couple occasionally bits and pieces that he, he's got the um what is it? The like fake hair implants thing that you can see on him. He doesn't in his demeanor or even in all of his, uh, in he looks still physically young, but there's something very old about him. Yeah. He, he's the most recent mayor of uh, POTUS. POTUS. <laughs> right. I think the priest theory is that he's something living in human skin. Yeah. Maybe he's your Wendigo or something. <laughs> or he's just a double ganger or something. Right. It could be a number of things, but it's something that's not entirely used to being human, living in yeah. a human body. And, He's jovial, he's friendly, he's a trickster, he's always there for all the big events. He invites yeah. people in. He's always he, he's there. He's the he's the showmanship mayor. He's the one that shows up at everything. He's one of the judges for the pie eating contest at the grape festival or whatever. He's he's the one that invites the the folks in to help lead the band or stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like he he's the one that's like, "Oh, we got we got you new folks setting up here. You know, we got I don't know why I'm giving him an old man voice, but yeah. You know what else would be terrible if he's also if he's in charge of realty as well? I I feel like he would have a hand in it. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. he's like that's that that's part of his like trickery is like he's he's the one that let everybody that let the mall settle on dead men's woods. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of consternation about that. Yeah. Like that—that's his whole issue now—is that he let that happen? Actually, no. Yeah, he—he was. You know what he is? He—he was happy that they bought that land because he doesn't see it as—he just saw it as cheap property. And this mall is going to bring in so much money for the town. You know that—that's why he—he let that uh, property go. Because, and here's the thing that's most monstrous about him: immediately, he loves the terrible wine. Yeah. Yeah. He's never drunk, but he loves it. He he's got he's got a whole wine rack in his office of the stuff. Proudly displayed. Every year he's got a bottle. Yep. Yeah, no, there and he tries to give him his prizes and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was an outfitter in the Academy that was an offshoot of the under that was run by an offshoot of the Underloot family. The outfitters were called Salacious, Grimful, and Bleak. I think that might be a little on the nose for a small town setting. Yeah. But what do you think the general store here is like that is upset and disturbed by the the emergence of the mall? 
Like, just, like, the style of the store or, like, who would be in charge of it? Okay. Yeah, the style, the feel of it. What what do they, you know? I, I, I've kind of got two ideas in my mind. I could see, like, the, um, you know, going back to Stranger Things where it's, like, it's got that, like, the shops are all lined up like that. But part of me kind of feels like that's too modern for this town. And I kind of just, I, I want it to be almost, I want the general store and the other stores maybe to almost be like shacks. Like this is like, like we're, we're a, vi- we're a town on the coast of a lake here. And for any Michigan people out there in the audience, it's like, you, you will go through towns where it's like, they're completely built on the coast of a lake. And I'm picturing it almost like, you go, you go a little further back into the town and it's like, Oh, it's just, it, it's the general store, but it kind of just looks like an old, like a very old shack kind of thing. Cause like, I feel like this area isn't built for like that modern, like stack by stack style of stores. Like it's just the, the land doesn't work right for it. The general store was somebody's home with a shop in front. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it's been expanded greatly to house everything in the general store, but I, I, I get that vibe. So there were a few known kind of, I, as you know, I, I I have a well-established distaste for gnomes in fiction. Brought to you by Gribblekin Incorporated, yes. I'm going to get you for that one day. <laughs> Just going to get you for that one day. Listen, you, you birthed Shiloh on me. I, I, think, I think payment is more than fair. <laughs> oh, God. So here, here's, I was looking up things because... When I was talking before about how the Underwoods have some monstrous branches to the family, one of the ones they eventually found was the carp. And the fun thing about carp is fundamentally they don't stop growing. As long as they've got (laughs) stuff to eat, nothing kills them. So this carp kept all the family treasures. It was a big carp. Yeah. I think in that lake is a big carp. (laughs) I I think we don't actually change him all that much. You know what it is? It's a big catfish. Oh, goodness. I, I, I don't know if they stop growing or anything like that, like they do, like carp do, but I, I could see like a big catfish that uh, Underwood always, like, every, like occasionally people will see Underwood every, like, once a week go out to the, the lake nobody's supposed to go to, like, very early in the morning, like, before the sun's even up and, like, you know, he'll throw something in, that kind of thing. There is also, so, yeah, no, I like that. I, I lost my train of thought for a moment, but the Moppets were our analog for gnomes, which were joyful little sacks of fabrics around sand that yeah. somehow served as means of mobility, who absolutely loved show tunes <laughs> and music in general. Uh, throughout the course of the series, I think in the second episode, they broke into Man of La Mancha, and then maybe oh. They were staring at the gate, pondering what was across, and I just loaded to dream an impossible dream because it was so. Pablo said that was his vision; they wanted to go across the gate. Yeah. So naturally, a couple of a couple of moppets maintaining the halls of the academy broke out into song to mock him. <laughs> they, so they were automata of a sense. But what do you think? Because in in my understanding of small town America, there's this element equivalent to what an old country Europe would be called the Fey, right? Yeah. Where do you think Moppets fit into something like that, or if something like that is here? Uh, if if it helps, I'll give you a few other examples, and you can see if there's a category they all fit into. I, yeah, I was going to say, because I'm thinking to, like, granted, I'm by no means an expert, but, like, if we're thinking, like, American folklore, 
there everything is more monstrous and wants to kill you versus the nice fae of European folklore. <laughs> Not all of it was that friendly. Yeah. I uh okay. So we had something called carbuncles too, which were a kind of catch-all for animal folk. You know, think like wind in the willows and that type. Yeah. Where and they the thing that was unique about them was that they would solidify on their on their external surface. They had a carapace of sort as they aged. So regardless of whatever they started as, they ended up as a carbuncle. And they were out in the woods usually. I'm trying to think, okay, let's give you this for the Moppets. So, you know, I mentioned that that strange place in the mountains called Brennan's Barrow, right? When yeah. the adventurers eventually went to it, they discovered what made it unique. The Moppets, as I said, were, you know, spirits, bound to fabric and, and sand or other yeah. drilling materials. Brennan's Barrow is where their souls went when they died and where their bones always lie. We could, because what I, what I was thinking of is we could do it like a fey animal or like an animal that's like weirdly friendly around here. I My honest thought was weasels, to be honest. Like something, <laughs> like, like something like a weird animal that is so comfortable around this area that people will just see a weasel and pay no mind to it, like that kind of thing. Sure. Like it's it's not the the raccoons are the tricksters, but the weasels are the ones that are like you know everybody loves. Like they're they're like ducks in a in a uh, like a small town pond where it's like they're so used to people that they come up and take the bread. Like there, there's just a weird amount of weasels in this area, and weirdly domestic, if not domesticated, weirdly tame weasels or other, sure, like e- either like they're native weasels that became domesticated, or like one of like an older, like a newer local uh, brought weasels like a long, long time ago. They they became a problem to the environment, but not to the town. <laughs> I found an old note for one of the elders of the Carbuncles. Do you know what their title was? What? Your Flocculence. <laughs> Perfect. It was a sheep-ish thing. <laughs> but yeah, they're, I think in that way, it's not all of them, but at a certain point, the animals get a little too smart. Yeah. And maybe that's part of what makes the whole taxidermy business a little weird, because it's- you don't know. And maybe it's just something as simple as talking animals or animals that understand communication perfectly. Yeah. It's something bridging the ground between talking animals and familiars and that kind of stuff, where there's not necessarily any kind of devilry involved in it, per se. It's just a weirdness of the town that some people experience and others don't. It's like like the, the, the weasels aren't going to do anything, and they don't even, like... Maybe like it's it's one of those like um what is it like Cat Island in Japan like that kind of thing <laughs> right but it's weasels because it's it's weird small town America or and there's Australia, there's the always one the with the weasel there or, or I know it's in Australia the island of the little penguins yeah yeah which are just they're so tiny it's impossible to think they exist they, yeah they, it's so it's hard because they're just how did you happen <laughs> you, you know you know what it is you know what it is. Instead of the 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 town uh, a, a local custom, instead of Groundhog Day, it's Weasel Day. Oh god, but not Weasel Stomping Day. No, 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 not Weasel Stomping Day. It's it's just they they have like the the mayor has some. I guess I, I guess in this case, you know, in like Poxitani Phil, that's supposed to live forever and ever. It's an actual weasel that has lived forever and ever. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, you just you just ratcheted in this. Yeah, that's what it is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, these were test animals, right? That escaped from some big corporate lab. Yeah, and integrated with the local critters. No one knows if they actually speak, but they seem to have little societies and other stuff. If you yeah, catch them, they, off they, they have like these like big burrows that like uh, y- you know, like the mayor tries to sell out the property, but. Every time he he talks about the the weasel barrels, like there'll be a protest like the next day, like protect our weasels, that kind of thing. Oh, that's that's why no one goes in the in the, in the hills. Yeah, because they're already occupied. At least some folks. It's, it's a safe space for the weasels. Yeah, right. It's that that whatever whatever else lives there that isn't a person that isn't people, human people, is there and. Lots of folks think it's just nonsense because they never see it, but it's been left alone for so long that most people don't bother them. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So you have that. I like that. It's, it's a weirdness that could go a lot of ways, but also serves as an invitation. Cause if you have escaped super highly intelligent lab animals, the lab folks are going to come for them. Exactly. Yeah. And you could, you could have a whole narrative centered around that. I, I imagine you know, probably the sheriff and the old priest have opinions. Probably, yeah. Like I, I, I'm honestly picturing it too. Like the, the, the lab. Like if, if the narrative like starts is like you see a couple of guys in like suits show up at the town, and then like the minute you like leave the town, like go far out where it's like it starts to get more to like regular uh, America and civilization. There's like a an old building that's like it, it's like a corporate HQ, but really it's a lab that. You know, they're trying to get the weasels back, that kind of thing. But the I can kind of see this that the Academy has a badger or something as a mascot and the local yeah. or a porcupine or something. Because a lot of these places they adopt some animal that's just there forever. That's oh there was a town in Colorado up in the mountains where they used to leave pizzas out for this huge porcupine. <laughs> and they would just trundle up and gobble up a pizza and walk off. Yeah. There's always there's a town critter that becomes the mascot. I think it either lives around the academy, and the students don't speak of it, but he's the science teacher. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, it's, it is, there's, you get a student handbook, there's certain things you don't talk about when you're downtown, and one of them is, you know, who the faculty are. Yeah, don't don't mention the, I'm trying to think what's like a natural predator for weasels would be the science teacher in this case, and also the mascot. Right. So you... Because I think the academy is a locus of weird, but it's also a locus of weird that's self-contained intentionally. Yeah, yeah. They're not there to cause trouble. Maybe it's a magic school. Maybe it's just the most affordable education in in the region. Maybe there are students from the neighboring towns occasionally, too. Okay, actually, you know, we're at that point. What's the neighboring town like? What would the neighboring town be? Is it normal? Is it utterly normal? Or is it weird in in a way that the locals here find off-putting. I think the next town over is normal. <laughs> I, I, I think I think that would be like, it's... It, it, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. My thought is that the next town over is really far out, but it's normal. It's far enough away that the weirdness of this place hasn't spread to it or isn't known there or talked about. Yeah, exactly. This is the town that everyone knows is the strange town. It's accepted as such it's in a way it exists in part to give the people who are too i guess a little odd or peculiar for the surrounding areas a place to go and be 
if not live there, then at least spend most of their time there. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that for this other town. So I, I was looking up a couple of the old rituals that were done in the community. And at one point, Pablo and his brother got into a drinking game using a brew that the family would make called Pig's Addle. And the question boiled down to whether or not you drank or didn't. If you drank, you you learned certain things, and if you didn't drink, you gained other things. So the, the boons were called the Hero's Feast or the Coward's Fast. Okay. If you drank of the pig's addle, you got braver and always knew what the terrible things were and had, had a better chance of fighting them. If you didn't drink or partake of the feast, you could use your meekness, your lack of pride or prowess as a way of getting out of trouble, and you always had a better sense of when trouble was coming. Okay. And the thing that I let them do a few times was engage in this ritual before they knew the ingredients. The outcome of like a scenario, I take it? No, before they knew the ingredients of what actually went into the brew. Oh, okay. There were a few different ingredients, but the most important one was that you had to have a carbuncle in it. You had to take an intelligent thing and cook it down or preserve it and use that as the foundation for the rest of the brew. So whatever kind of magic was inherent to those things, you kind of boiled off into this beverage. Yeah. I feel like you have the wine, but no one likes the wine. There's got to be a local drink. Is there a local brewery or is there just a local drink, a beer or whatever that gets imported from somewhere else? You you know what it is? It's moonshine. Oh, actual moonshine. Yeah. As it, it's still moonshine. Yeah. Yeah. It's actual moonshine. Because here's the thing. There's no the all the all the crop like agricultural areas and like places that you can grow stuff that's going to be for the grapes. So you can't grow you can't grow wheat or barley for beer or anything like that. So what else do you got out in the hills? Hill folk. Mil- moon hill folk moonshine, yeah. But here's the thing. Just like no one sees mama or grandpa Underwood, no one sees the hill folk. They just leave you, you know what it is, but you know what it is. Instead of the carbuncle being the basis for the, the they're stew, the brewers. Or, uh, <laughs> what it is is that every once in a while you may find a weasel hair in your moonshine. Yep, and you, they, you, they don't cook; they just bathe in it sometimes. Oh, gross! I <laughs> uh, see. I was going to go with that. The the, the hell folk, quote unquote, are the clitter, the critters in the burrows, the moppets and carbuncles and stuff. And oh, that could work too. I, I was just thinking of it like they they like the distilleries aren't maintained that much, and occasionally a weasel gets in and gets out. <laughs> it's a little bit of both. Yeah, you know, maybe moonshine's got a little funk to it that you can't quite put the finger on. But it, it's a good funk. It's a good funk. Right, a good beverage to have a kick to it. Yeah. It's an acquired taste, definitely. But there is... <laughs> so is the wine. <laughs> it's musky. Yeah. I, I like that idea, though. The locals know there's a, there's a couple of drops along the hills that you leave stuff off, you get your barrels, you don't ask questions. <laughs> like, there's like a couple bars in the town. Like, it's like yeah. every, every, like, they, the, the old, old uh, managers know, you know, to get the moonshine, you go... Um, out at like seven o'clock on the dot, and you leave. Um, <laughs> the bar is called the, the the bar is called the Wellspring. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Wellspring owners leave the supplies, and then they they leave for an hour, come back, and they got their next shipment of moonshine for the night. I actually kind of like the idea of the saucer of milk or something outside that gets replaced by the moonshine. Yeah, and it's 
you know, there are feral cats and other stuff. There's, there's other things that can be eaten and drinking, whatever is left out. But there's always moonshine in exchange for the right offering. Yeah. You know, if you, you, you show up with like short or crappy supplies, they give you the bad batch kind of thing. <laughs> right. You, 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 you always know who is shortchanged the hill folk, quote unquote. You, you get the one with extra hair. <laughs> right. They're, they're out of sorts for a few days. <laughs> in the ocean itself, in, a, in an older part of it, there were sirens or merfolk or something. I don't know if we'd go that deliberate or literal with a lake, but you could have fishermen if if you want to like do a spin on them. Like you could have like uh like I, I guess like a, a a strew of like like the the like they're they're like built tough like woman fishermen or something like that or like I feel like there's a are we talking you know Lake Michigan sized lake because that's a big lake. I we. Could. I was not thinking of that initially. Yeah, you're thinking smaller, right? I, I'm definitely smaller than like Michigan. Yeah, I, I was thinking like a, a big lake that, or well, even like we could even do like like uh, not like Michigan size, but there are some like inland lakes that you can't see the other side of. I was thinking something almost like that, or like something like on the edge of the state where it's like. There's more land on the other side, but because the water in this bay area is so like filled up, you can't really see it. Like it fades. Okay. The reason I ask is that there's enough water for there to be another town or towns across the lake that will occasionally bring stuff over. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. So maybe it's folks from across the lake. That could yeah, I, I could see that working, yeah. Like they're, they're the ones that lake soak. Like all the all the disappearances in the lake happen in our town, but the lake folk on the other side they don't know about that. They they don't think it's haunted or weird or right, anything. No, they, they, they go, go fishing and swimming. They go fishing. Yeah. They swim. Everything's fine. Yeah, it's just our side of town that all the badness happens. I I, I like this. There's something. It, it's a nexus of some sort for something not working as it should, or maybe it is working as intended, which could be the the, the worst. Proof to discover there. The fish got to eat something. <laughs> well, I, I like, too, that we've avoided going into outright, you know, mines are haunted by gates to hell or devils or whatever. You know, there's nothing. Yeah. One of the tonalities I wanted to preserve is that the town sticks together, all, th- all else considered, right? People get their conflicts. The priest might think the, the head of the academy is a vampire. The mayor is some weird skinwalker. Yeah. Or, you know, oh, God, Andrew, the mayor's a lizard person. Yeah. That's what the theory is. The mayor's a lizard person. Oh, God, yeah. That's, it's a conspiracy that, like, it's whispered at the bars, etc. You know, they do the whole nicotating to eyelids and all that stuff. Yeah, like, every every once in a good while, uh, old Jim sees that the mayor blinked his eyes weird, that kind of thing. Or, right. why does the mayor have, like, uh, a cricket in his, like, little, like, one of those... Uh, cigar pouches or cigarette pouches or whatever maybe he just has a glass eye so it just occasionally rotates yeah yeah it's a really good glass eye you can't tell most of the time then occasionally just goes whoop he he got it from the taxidermy woman (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah little did he know it's an actual eye from a from another person (laughs) there's a certain affection for the town by from from the locals toward the stuff that goes on most of the time, right? 
Right. You know, when Sheriff Underwood comes out around, it's because something's gone wrong. But there's a certain amount of weirdness that's just how things work here. Yeah. And the Academy potentially pushes beyond that for better or for ill. The priest is afraid of something greater coming down. The hill folk are left alone, but maybe the lab folk come, you know, maybe the, the, the lab comes you, to You know what it them. is? It's, yeah, that's... I, I was going to say, like, if the the lab folk are looking for their weasels, they're they're the ones that are going to go disturb the hill folk, if anything. Right. There, there's a sense that the main drive of the the populace itself is to maintain a certain, not status quo, but a certain very fine balance of things. Yeah. And that there's a precipice. They're kind of not on the edge on, but you know, could be tipped one way or another. They're they're they're, they're nudging towards it, if anything. In the old uh, Planescape setting of D&D, there was a space called the Hinterlands between all the various planes that had the thematics and valences. And one of the, the hazards and the, and the conflicts that always would ensue is that forces from the other realms would try to kind of push stuff totally and thematically in a direction so that the town would shift and become a part of whatever place they were with. Yeah, and it kind of feels like, in a way, Potos is there too, where it could go a lot of ways if it got pushed too far. Yeah, yeah, I I could agree with that. Like, if you know they start, like you know they don't they stay out of the hill, folks, to like in a sense not develop much and like not you know push too far into the natural woods, like keep that right. kind of maybe boundary. the mirror is a lizard person, but he's an exile or something. And just wants a place to chill without being a problem. Yeah. And, you know, maybe he ate the actual politician and needed a body. To, you know, there, there's a lot of possibilities there, but the mayor is not the forerunner to a lizard person invasion from the hollow earth, right? Yeah, yeah. The mayor is just from the hollow earth. Or space or something. Right. There's a, there's all, there's a whole level of possibilities there that allow the place to be weird, but also unique. Normal, in a way. <laughs> right. That it's... You know, his, his weird eyelid, his rotating eye, the taxidermist who does predictions that are trailer, Sheriff Underwood going hunting, always, you know, finding things to hunt. Yeah, like he, he hunts at like the weird hours where like any regular hunter knows it's like nothing's out at those hours or something like that. Right. And he just kind of gives you a no and look and goes, huh, and moves on. Yeah. Yeah. From the outside, there's nothing normal about this place if you stay there for long. Yeah. What keeps it running, though? Because the wine isn't loved. Do they sell the beer externally, or is that just a local thing? I feel like... Or the moonshine? I, I feel like the moonshine needs to be kept locally. I, I feel I feel like that like there would be like some kind of like bigwig from California or something that wants in on the moonshine, and it's like, oh, I want to make this like Put in Myers everywhere, that kind of thing. Oh, sure. Whoever's building the mall probably got a liquor license in order to sell it. Yeah, but the people, they they say it's not for sale because they want to protect and preserve the thing they have with the hill folk. Right. Like that's, that, that's their promise is like, we give you supplies, you know, depending on the offering, we get moonshine and we don't we don't sell it outside of the, out of the local village per se, because we don't know what your wishes are outside of that. Right. And it could be that the town is suffering financially, which is why the mayor invites them all in. 
that that's honestly what I was thinking too. Yeah. Right. And maybe it's taxes got raised or something. There's something, you know, something, the, the guy's up in the big city. Gotta be a big city or something, right? Yeah. Make it, made a decision and we got higher taxes or other, there's other demands being made that we have to. There's the rest of the world going on. That's right. Like causing things. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's going to get more expensive unless we can bring new money into town. Yeah. We haven't really had, you know, a lot of commerce going on besides the occasional tourism from folks who want to go to a weird local, you know, not rural per se, but a, a weird local oddity of Americana. You, you've got like, yeah, you've got like the, the people who come into town for the day and then like the campers where only half of them go missing or something like that. Right. But no one stays in town. The hotels are all exterior. The, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Yeah. No one, no one stays in town. Yeah. So there's not enough money coming in outside of what people buy or sell. So the mall becomes uh, a way to bring the outer world in. But the outer world is also going to bring attention. Yes. And scrutiny and questions. And a lot of things, I, I would say a lot of things around this town do not like that. <laughs> no, they're, they're here because they like that it is a quiet, settled there's, there's a, a not a detente, but there's a there's an understanding. Yeah, you, you kind of a don't ask too many questions kind of thing, which I, I think kind of allows us to adapt the idea of a of, of a, a world that was a lot of things that isn't anymore, slowly falling or decaying. That people are still trying to hold on to the remnants of, right? Yeah, the facades are all still kept up as much as they can be, but definitely like this bringing in of the outside world is like a big like start of this essentially like a start of a much bigger decay that already has been going on like this is just this mall and everything is going to be the thing that escalates it it's the death of the town yeah so you you get these conflicts between all these external forces that want or need or feel like the boundary should no longer be what remains of time yeah. Lies or held bound. Or, yeah. That this town has somehow managed to escape everything else that has happened around it for so long and not anymore. Exactly. Uh, it's fascinating. Because I, I, the stakes become big, but they're not, they're world ending, but of a small world. Yeah. And I think that gives you an appreciation for people who have a life that is mostly that world. Yeah. And I, I know we're, we've taken a few, you know, creative liberties for the sake of narrative here. But I like the, I like that it's more affection than affectation. If that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, you know, I, I grew up mostly in large cities, so it's even when I visit family up in New England, the towns that were the small towns. You know, my grandparents' town, North Portsmouth, New Hampshire. When my grandmother died, we were talking to some of the folks who knew her, and one of them said, "Yeah, no, I, I remember when that corner was where the cow stood around." Right. And that was the notable thing about that corner. It's where the cow stood around. Yeah. There were no high-rise hotels or any of this other stuff. It was just no, that. yeah. It's just like, yeah, it's like, see, that's the thing I, I like about a lot of small towns is that, like, there's these kind of weirdness about them. And, like, you, you, don't, you don't see it much nowadays, but that's why I like a lot of, like, the Stranger Things-style stories and stuff like that, where it's like, you know, it's it, it's nice to go back to that oldness for a bit and make it a bit more fantastical there's actually um a series i got recommended 
or like I, I want to look into more that I saw at uh, Tampa Bay Comic Con. That's like he because uh, the writer of it was there, like you know, selling his books and everything. That was just it was called Erie, Florida, and Erie Appalachia. And I'm like, man, that is something right up my alley. <laughs> I remember you showed me the Erie Appalachia. Yeah. It also reminds me in part of when I traveled in Israel, and I remember asking when we were staying with a family why they never go to the temple. And they said, we're already in the Holy Land. Why would we, you know, they weren't religious in the way I expected them to be because they felt the being here was the act. And I, I kind of feel like in this town, because I was thinking, you know, you know, drug epidemics are a huge issue as are gangs in small towns and large ones too. Yeah, But I feel, for some reason, I feel like this town isn't religious in the book-thumping sense, so much as they are in keeping a certain spirit of the town in place alive. I, I, I would agree with that, yeah. That if there's a thing they do worship, it's not a god or a faith, per se, although those things exist in the town. But yeah, like you have like the the like Catholic priest or something like that, like you're with our priest character, yeah. You might have some other you know, buildings of faith and worship to other communities, too. That wouldn't surprise me. If there's a zeal, it's keeping Podos Podos. Not in a, I don't honestly think this town can be, a, we don't want one of your kind here, because they're all the kinds that weren't wanted elsewhere. Yeah, like this is this is a, a misfits town, yeah. Right. So I think that's that tension, or, or there's the underlying tension of, if we get what we need to survive and subsist, do we do it at the cost of our uniqueness? Yeah. And whatever is magical about here. Because a lot of the things that are magical in a way we've described are a little mythical in the small sense. You know, they're, they could become monstrous or terrifying if cornered or threatened. Yeah. But mostly they're just there, right? Like most yeah, of the exactly. if, you knew the, if you knew a vampire was the head of your school or your corporation or whatever, there would be questions. Yeah. Here, no one's paying attention. <laughs> The local news should be running papers on where's the deed to the academy. Yeah. How old is this guy? These should but be no, they 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 got to talk about the grape festival that's coming up and how the how the how the crops looking. Yeah, or the the goat stuck in a tree. Yeah. <laughs> that was an actual that was an actual news report in college where I went. Really? That was the news of the day. It was a goat stuck in a tree. Beautiful. It is. We just we sat there in awe and wonder because there's a certain magic when that is the biggest problem. You know, get that poor goat out of the tree, sure, but man. And this isn't to diminish in any way the actual small issues small towns have in America now. We're talking about a deeply mythologized sense of place that our culture has about certain parts of it. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we did kind of position, you know, Papa Underwood the Sheriff as being a totem of the last American man. Yeah. Because the last American man in this mythos, fights monsters that you can't see. Exactly. That he insists are real. I think there's a lot of ways to tell a story in this. You could be cynical, you could be saccharine. The thing I found the most joy in in telling stories within the original setting that I think we've preserved in this is that the big magic is less fascinating than the small magic. I, I would agree with that, yeah. That's, that's something I've definitely appreciated in doing our D&D campaign, that it's like, like um the staunch difference uh between this and like I, I ran another game with a couple of randos I met and what I had done was the 
they this was like uh like they were in a desert city um i won't get into all the details but this was like a a minotaur city that was run by the wizards and one of the one of the council of wizards was a lich and what i had done no surprise there <laughs> but um what i had done was the what it what the the established way of execution for criminals in this town would be that the the lich council member comes in and he devours their soul and like i I set it up in a way that it's like sure he still has the relicanthy but he had an ability because he's a lich that he could just take the soul out of someone and feed off of that okay and the difference is i feel like between our group it's like oh that's cool and then my other group is like so how do i get that spell and i'm like (laughs) look i i don't know it's npc magic because like even what i did in our group is like you know i made the dwarven food like it, it it was magical in a sense that it like it gave you comfort. Like I I I liked like I I agree with it that. It was like, literal I like comfort food. Yeah, like I like the small magic now because I think it makes the incredible things more so. Yeah, you know those those big moments when something massive occurs are miraculous in contrast. It builds up to it in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it's also that. You know, the small magic's easier to take for granted if you're living with it every day. Yeah. So yeah. I think there's fun stories of, okay, what if the locals do come in and become students at the academy or tourist visit, and they have all these questions? So like, and some of them just respond, it's just the way it's been for years and years. Here's what it is. And how often do we hear that? All every day. <laughs> A good story can excite us. Yes. But the best ones, fiction or not, compel, inspire, or drive us toward the hope that we need for a better life. Remember, you don't need to know everything right now, but you do need to write. So make sure to like, review, and subscribe to us at Here Be Tigers. And until next time, take life by the tail. Technology is a blessing and a curse. Just like the magic in this town. <laughs> <laughs> lizard people. They're all lizard people. <laughs> no, that's that's what grandma thinks. There's been a real human since my day. I mean, the last one, I tell you, they all got skin that doesn't fit on them right. <laughs> she, she, she tries to, like, grab Sheriff Underwood's skin occasionally. Are you a bit replaced by the lizard, son? Why are you so cheeky? Yeah. <laughs>